Do you own a small firm? Or if you don't own a firm, would you like to start one? Paget gives firm owners all the benefits of owning a small firm, plus the backing, playbook, and confidence that comes with being backed by a large firm. Stay tuned to hear more about Paget later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Well, hello and welcome to the first ever Federal Tax Update podcast. I'm Roger Harris and I'm joined today by Annie Schwab. We're both from Paget. So, Annie, welcome to our first ever podcast. Thank you, Roger. I'm excited. Yeah. Before we get started, just briefly a little bit about Annie and myself and Paget. Paget has been in business since the 1960s. We're primarily an accounting and tax firm for small businesses. We have 300 locations across the United States, and we're pleased to be here and share a little bit of what we see as the upcoming tax season and some of the things that we all need to be focused on and worrying about. But before we get into it, Annie, tell them a little bit about your background, and then then I'll tell them a little bit about mine. Perfect. Well, I've been in the practice for over 20 years. Um, I'm a CPA. I've um, experienced quite a lot over the last couple of years, but most importantly, I have been with Paget for 12 years and loving every minute of it. Well, and I've been with Paget. I actually go back to the Walter Paget days who founded the company, so I've been around for a long time. I've actually run a Paget office and have worked in the corporate end for over 20-something years. And again, we're we're excited about this podcast. We hope we can share some interesting information and and Andy, you know, this may be whatever normal is now. This may be the first normal tax season we've had since COVID. We don't have uh, a lot of the challenges that we faced over the last three or four years. So do you agree? It, well, whatever normal is, is this going to be a normal, normal tax is. season? We are we are here. Yes, it's the first post-COVID traditional tax season. Um, hopefully no extended deadlines and, and things like that. Even though the but deadline's com- not April 15th this year. That's true. It's <laughs> April 18th. For those of you taking notes, April 18th, you do get an extra day or two. Um, but yeah, we, we've, compared to previous years, this tax season should be fairly smooth. Now, I don't want to jinx anything because there is certainly not an easy tax season, um, but hopefully we will not have any retroactive legislation or extensions or, you know, no more COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and and we'll talk a little bit later about the kind of the politics of the tax season and, and where we are now. We probably won't get a lot of changes. But as you said, the new norm uh, is where we are today. But we don't know what that means in terms of surprises. But anything else about what we need to talk about going forward? Are we ready to jump into uh, a few of the things that will impact tax season like IRS has more money? And therefore, hopefully, they have a lot have more money, more right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Eighty billion dollars. Yeah. Well, as we sit here and record today, that eighty billion dollars—you you can't be in the tax business and not have heard all the discussion about hiring all the IRS agents. Some people said they're going to be armed. What are they going to be doing? What 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 is that true? What does it mean for us? How does it impact our day-to-day activities? What are your thoughts on? good, bad, that we have this money? What's it going to do with it? How's it going to impact us on a day-to-day basis? 
Well, it's funding for lots of different projects. Clearly, there'll be some enhanced enforcement with $80 billion. There is more than half of that right now earmarked for enforcement. But again, we really hope to see, for example, customer service improvements. If anyone has tried to reach the IRS in the past couple of years, you have sat on hold, you have felt like you've been ignored, um, time-consuming, a lot of um, frustration there. So I, I certainly expect to see some customer service enhancements, maybe some catch-up on that backlog. We've seen backlog for several years now. A lot of that was COVID-related, but still, practitioners reaching help, calling in the practitioner hotline, you know, those would all be wonderful uses of that money. Um, I do think, you know, they're going to do more audits. Um, and will the wealthy be targeted? You know, who's going to be targeted? Is it small businesses? You know, that that we'll have to wait and see. But but it is a lot of money. Now, remember, that money just is not just this. Right. You know, it's not all dumped <laughs> on them at once. That's right. It's spread over 10 years. So there, there should be a plan. The IRS has, has put out some um, indicators of what, the, what their focuses are going to be. So is it good? Is it bad? I guess it depends on, on who you are. But I think it's going to be great for the practitioners. I really hope to see some improvements with customer service and processing. Those backlogs were really hard for a lot of taxpayers and practitioners in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to have to separate the politics versus the practical in, in this money because the politics of it is, well, even today, the Republicans' first bill they passed in the new House was to repeal the money that allowed them to hire these people. But that will never get through the Senate and never be signed by the president. So it was just a political statement. But the question is, how will the IRS properly spend this money? Will it be focused on customer support, which we would all support, versus unnecessary enforcement. But also keep in mind, the IRS is like everybody else. Hiring is difficult. Finding people that are qualified to do the job is going to take a while. Just because you have money to hire 84,000 people doesn't mean you'll have 84,000 people lined up at the front door that you want to hire. And then the IRS has a very extensive, long training program to get these people up to speed. Several years, right? It depends on the job. It can take up to three years to train a yeah. revenue agent to go out and be on their own in, in the field. So we all have to be patient to see how this money is going to be spent, what will be the real impact on the IRS and therefore on practitioners and ultimately on taxpayers. Uh, to me, it's like the old thing of we always saw the dog chasing the car and we always wondered what happened if they caught it. Well, the IRS has been chasing money for years. Well, they've caught it now. Right. So. The next three, five years are going to be critical to see whether this money leads to a better customer service organization, more enforcement, or more of the same. So I don't think we'll see anything this tax season as a direct result of this, probably, or we won't recognize it if it is. Unfortunately not. Yeah. But yeah, I think we're going to have some backlog and still some customer service issues. But heading down the right road is, is the way to go. Let's we, keep let's our hope fingers we're going crossed. Down we the can... right. Let's hope <laughs> exactly. we're going the right going the right direction because this if they don't do this right, they may never get this kind of money again. Exactly. So, like I said, they've caught the car, so let's see what they can do now. As we head into tax season, Annie, some things just always change, whether it's COVID or not. I mean, there's inflation adjustments. I know yeah. it doesn't make a real impact day to day in a lot of what we do because our software does it, but can you talk a little bit about the kind of things that, you know, have changed just so that we're aware of them, even though, again, most of these kinds of changes software addresses? 
Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, we've always got our tax brackets, right? Everybody talks about what tax bracket are you in? You know, what's my tax rate? Well, just like last year, there are seven tax brackets. I'm talking about individuals here. Right. Um, from anywhere from like 10% is going to be your lowest tax bracket. Um, it was 10% last year. It's just that the income threshold has gone up a little bit. But basically, the tax brackets run from 10% to 37%. Um, we've got a, a 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, 37, if you really want to know all of them. Right. Um, but, but those brackets, you know, increase over time you know, basically inflation adjustments. We've also got the standard deduction. Most of you are probably familiar with that. The standard deduction um, increased slightly from last year. It was, I think, 12,550, and this year it's 12,950. So not a surprise there for a little bit of an, an increase. And obviously, you know, there's different thresholds for single, married, filing joint, married, filing separate, had a household. Those filing statuses have been around for years, and I right. don't think that they're changing. So you've still got your same filing statuses. No personal exemption. Um, that went away a couple of years ago, and it's not coming back. So again, we've got a we've got no personal exemption deduction there. But um, you know, a couple of other things that tend to you know fluctuate with inflation. Got mileage rates. Um, we've actually got the 2023 mileage rates that came out. But 2022 is going to be a little different with mileage. Um, if you remember, like midsummer, um, with inflation and gas prices going up, the mileage mileage rate jumped too. So I don't know, Roger, if you've given any thought to how you're going to collect these mileage brackets from your clients this year, because you got to have the mileage from the beginning part of the year, right. where it was at, you know, 58.5%. And then, you know, June hits, I mean, sorry, July hits, and it jumps to 62.5. So now you got to have it both. You got to have both and ways. It, and it impacts not just business mileage, it impacts medical mileage, charitable mileage. I've been in this long enough that I've been through one of these before. This is the first time it's happened. It's not so much that we don't know, and again, our software is going to know that the mileage rates for those different times. It's that our taxpaying clients don't follow this. They have no idea mm -hmm. what the mileage rates were last year, what they are this year, or that they change. So those that are smart enough to bring you their mileage are going to bring it to you for the calendar year. Yep. And you're going to have to, have to send out. them back and say, I'm sorry, this thing changed this year, so I need you to go back and give me the ones between January and June 30th, and then after that. So it's going to take, if you haven't sent out your organizers or whatever, however you inform your clients about changes, that might be a good one to, to point out just to save them from having to go back and, and bring them in a second time, broken out between the first half of the year and the second half of the year. Again, it's happened before, but it's something that practitioners might remember, but I guarantee you know. Taxpayers come to us so they don't have to worry about this stuff. So I right. guarantee you they don't know that the rate changed. And as Annie said, it's already changed again for 23. And who knows if it'll change multiple times in 23. But it's Let's just one not. more Let's little thing. Let's hope pain. gas prices have finally settled and yeah. inflation yeah. has, has settled uh, think, as well. But I think we're up to over, what, 65 and a half for 23? 65 and a half. Yep. Getting it's up a, there. It's a good thing if that rate goes down. That would be true. Because that means gas prices have gone down. So let's hope that they go. We do have a multiple change in 23, and instead of going up, they're going down. That would be nice. That would be and nice. And this could for be all a great us. opportunity to remind your, your clients here to documentation. Oh, there's so many apps, there's so many ways to track your business mileage. You know, and some of them are like, oh, it's a couple miles here, a couple miles there. But really documenting that mileage using a log of some sort, whether even if you write it down, old school, pull the notebook out in your car and write it down. It's really important to keep that documentation, not just this year, but in any year um, when you're trying to take business mile or medical mile or charitable miles. 
Yeah, and and if you have clients who do a lot of traveling for business, there's so many apps out there now that yeah. help them track those type of things, which is not only good for them, but it makes your life simpler at the end of the year when that information's somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. So, okay. so that's a couple of the thresholds and changes and tax yeah. filing stuff, but but there's something that we still need to talk about, Roger, and it's it's been around since COVID. A lot of people probably think it has gone to the wayside, but the employee retention credit is still around. It is still available, and it's going to affect this tax season again. Yep. It, I don't know anybody who watches TV or turns on the radio hasn't been heard, hasn't heard a lot of the ads recently from what we'll call ERC Mills advertising mm-hmm. that the credit's still there and it's still available. Now, I know a lot of people in our business did not have clients or did not assist clients in doing the employee retention credit. They didn't have time or didn't want to learn it, thought it was too complicated. So the assumption is, well, then I don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nothing for me to do. Andy, I don't think that's true. That is definitely not the case. Because if a client comes to you in 2022, hey, look, the ERC was a great opportunity for small businesses to get money while they kept their employees being paid through the pandemic. The problem is when you filed all of these ERC claims, you didn't actually get the money in your hand until probably 2022. Some Most people may have gotten it in 2021, in 20- yeah. but it took so long. And, it, and people, some people are still waiting for their money. It took so long for the IRS to process these returns and get the money in the hands that a lot of people who got it in 2022 are just assuming it's a 2022 reporting. Right. And it's really not. It's really not. They're going to have to take a look at how 2021 was filed. You might even have to go back and amend. It's going to be a real, going to be a real bugger this tax season, I can tell you, because you're going to have to ask questions. If anybody comes to you that has a business with wages and payroll, Mm -hmm. or they are invested in through a K-1 or something and have a business that they have to report, the money probably arrived in 2022. But the credits were generated in 20 and 21. And a mm-hmm. thing that's not known by a lot of people is that you don't include those credits when you receive them in 2022. You have to go back and amend the returns either in 20 or 21 where the wages were paid that generated the credits. So if someone comes to you with a QuickBooks report for their business or a K-1 where they're an investment in the business, first thing you got to ask them, is did that business receive retention credits? And if they did, were they mistakenly included in the 2020 information that you're looking at? Because that's wrong. 2022. 2022, right. Roger. 2022, right. The 2022 return, if they included them in as income in that year, that was wrong. They have to go back and amend 20 and 21. So that means that the QuickBooks report or the K-1 is probably wrong, and it has to be fixed. Then it opens up the opportunity for you to go back and amend the 20 and 21 returns. But again, these ERC mills aren't promoting that that even has to be done. So some people may say, I got the money, I've done nothing. But Mm -hmm. we're going to have to have discussions about the ERC with our clients, our business clients, whether we were engaged in generating those credits or not. And yeah, and it goes beyond that. Yeah, and it goes beyond that because even if someone qualified for the ERC and hasn't taken advantage of it, there's still time. Still time. There's still an opportunity right. to do it. Right. There's still money. It's not like they're going to run out of money. There's, it wasn't like um, PPP loans or anything where there was a cap. Small business owners can still get that money. Yeah. There's, so just you the might statute see of an opportunity. 
Yeah, it's just the statute of limitations issue for the quarter that yeah. it was done. And it's a lot of money. It is. And, it is. And, and a lot of people think, again, repeat, I'm repeating myself, but I want to make sure if you didn't deal with it and you ignored it and didn't want to mess with it and don't think you have to deal with it, if you do tax returns for people in business who had wages in 20 and 21, you're going to have to deal with this, potentially deal with it, either in the terms of what Annie was just talking about, going back and getting them the money that they're entitled to, or making sure that the credits, when they were received, so you got to know how much was received and mm -hmm. when it was received, was it handled properly or does that create more opportunity for amended returns or corrections or whatever the case may be? But just because you didn't do an ERC claim or didn't care to earn, learn about it, you can't ignore it. It's going to be an issue this tax season. Yep. And what, Roger, when you're talking about amending returns, it's not just those payroll returns or the business tax return. It's the individuals who are getting the K-1s. It sort of trickles down. There's multiple steps here for this. Right. Um, which is why it's, it is complicated. And the rules changed and got, you know, FAQs came out and different, you know, different stipulations were made. First, it was, you know, just you had to lose a certain amount of money compared to the quarter before. And then and then it went to, you know, was was there a government shutdown? And what was the government shutdown period for that? Now we've got this supply chain interruption qualifier. You know, that's really what those ERC mills are focusing on. Right. You know, yeah, they're tapping you get what into you that. needed to produce. It's, it is complicated. But and, like you said, it's a lot of money. It's worth it. And it's got to be done correctly because the IRS has already said the two things they're going to focus on in their audit profiles for ERCs. Mm -hmm. Number one is that whole idea of supply chain interruption as a qualification because there's so much perceived gray area in that. It's not as black or it's not as gray as people want to make it. But so they're looking for abuses there to say they're eligible when they're really not. And then the other one, which is what we're talking about, is that you did not amend the returns when the credits were received, mm -hmm. because that kind of helps offset the penalties uh, or the amount of money that the government's handing out as they recover some of it from the returns that were there. So it's a big deal. It's a lot of money. It's something that we just can't ignore. And again, these ERC mills are creating a lot of credits. And I can... I, I can almost hear the questions that people want to ask. Well, when my client brings in a K-1 and I ask them, they're not going to know the answer to that. They're just an investor. So what am I supposed to do? They don't know if there was an ERC. They sure don't know how much it was, and they don't know if returns were amended. You're going to have to send them back to whoever did those returns mm -hmm. for answers because we may be talking about a lot of money. I mean, it's this isn't like, you know, $500. This could be 500000 and. You don't want to have a return done improperly that causes your return to be wrong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not perfect. It could have been done better, yeah. but Congress created it. The IRS administered it, and there's blame to go on both sides, but it is what it is to us. So, yep. But, but it's going to make tax season hard. It's going to make it, it potentially really additional work, the workload yeah. challenge. If you have a lot of business clients, especially. Yeah. Or investors in businesses where they get K-1. So it, it's going to be tough. Uh, again, we, we have to think about it. But don't ignore the fact that there's also a huge opportunity for businesses, and Annie said it, and I'm going to repeat it, 
if they are eligible and don't have their money yet, watch the statute of limitations, but you can mm -hmm. still do a lot of work in that area and get these people uh, those dollars. And then subsequent to that, you'll get the ERC work for the amended returns. And also keep in mind, if these people got that money and delay amending returns, in other words, if you say, well, okay, you got the money, I need to go amend those returns, I'll do it sometime in the future. The IRS is pretty lenient in waiving penalties, but they're not waiving the interest. So the right. longer you wait to amend those returns, the bigger the interest is building up on those uh, amounts of tax that are paid on those amended returns. So there is a sense of urgency. It's, you know, you don't have to drop everything and do it, but you need to understand if it's a huge claim that requires an amended return, if you put it off too long, your client's going to get a nice bill for interest, probably won't get the penalty. And if they do, you can probably get it abated, but that interest is going to stick. At least as of right now, it's, it's being assessed and it's being collected. So yeah. there's, a, there's a certain amount of urgency, even if it's all done properly to get those returns amended as soon as possible. So yeah. there you go. You thought you didn't have to worry about ERC, but. It is an opportunity. The, and there's always opportunities, right? Right. <laughs> During tax season. I mean, just the traditional ones like married filing joint versus married filing separate. You can run an analysis on that. You know, looking at quarterly estimates, tax planning. Um, one that's always been around. And we, and we do this a lot, Roger. We talk to our clients a lot about reasonable salary. You know, right. Taking distributions before reasonable salary, business structure, education, there's all kinds of stuff. And another one that really got um, big during COVID is this whole idea of the nexus state tax implications, because so right. many people were working from home, um, could have been in a different state or you were hire a lot. Now it's you hire wherever you can get the talent, right? I mean, you could hire somebody to work remotely for a company multiple states away. So there's a lot of opportunities that present themselves during tax season. So it's really important, really, for, for a tax preparer to kind of have that helicopter view as they start working on tax returns. Get to know your client. Um, see, see if there's something out there that you can do to add some value to your services. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jeff Phillips, CEO of Pageant. We've been helping firm owners grow the right way for over 50 years by providing marketing, technology, and of course, tax support. It's like hiring another 20 people who help you run your firm, but for a tiny fraction of the cost. And if you like this podcast, remember that these are two of the national team leaders at Paget that exist to support Paget firm owners. So to learn more, visit pagetadvisors.com slash podcast or pagetadvisors.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to my colleagues, Roger and Annie for the federal tax updates. Yeah, because I think ultimately for us to continue to be successful in this, we're going to have to be more than just human calculators mm -hmm. of taking information and plugging it in. We're going to have to be able to be advisors for our clients. We hear a lot about advisory services. And oh, yeah. COVID has created, I mean, what you just mentioned, this whole idea of hiring people. You know, we're all having trouble finding good qualified employees. So one of the ways we're solving that problem is allowing them to be remote, hiring remote people. Well, we, we may have a staff where, I mean, we have people, gosh, I'm trying to think how many states we have employees oh, yeah. in now. And that creates a nexus to that state. And it's certainly going to create some payroll tax issues. It may create income tax filings. Who knows what it'll create. Mm -hmm. 
they're going to turn to us and we're, we're to be their advisors. So every challenge in the tax business is also an opportunity. We just choose whether to take the opportunity. We're forced to deal with the challenge. That's well and, said. Exactly. And, and we need to be more of an advisor and help people. And we need to help them because their challenges are our opportunities to, to be better serving them. And at the end of the day, without apologizing, that's how we make money. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of those things. Um, yeah, Ryder, I, did you see that article? It was just a few weeks ago. I think you know it was in I think Accounting Today about the biggest challenging face challenges facing tax practitioners this year, and the number one was staffing. Yeah, it's been the number one yeah. I think for three years now. There's something called quiet quitting where you've hired people and they only do just enough to continue to maintain their job. I mean, finding really good staff is so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. But and we're going to have to be flexible in things that we do. I mean, if we look around, I mean, we learned a lot in COVID, mm-hmm. you know, that has nothing to do with COVID itself. But we got into remote hiring. We got people who are used to working from home. And it, it's hard in a, in, well, sadly, and some people learned they like not working as much as working. <laughs> so that shrunk the pool of who we can hire. But, you know, so long this profession has been hung up on this almost badge of honor that we work 80-hour weeks and we work long hours and we work weekends. And, you know, from January to April 15th, we never see our families. Go try to sell that to a person looking to join this profession (laughs) and say, well, if you join me, I'm going to make you come to an office, work 80 hours and never see your family for three and a half, four months. You're never going to hire anybody. So we have to change the way we do our business if we want to be competitive in the marketplace of people. So our employees aren't going to put up with it, so we shouldn't put up with it. So one of the challenges that we're all going to face, because we've done this this way for years, and we thought once we got out of COVID, we'd go back to normal. Normal We're not going back to that normal. We're not all coming back to the office. We're not all going to work those long hours. So a big challenge if we want to be competitive in the marketplace is to change the way we do our business and find ways. And And we don't have time, and maybe we'll cover this in a future podcast to talk about all the things that you have to do to be successful, but you're going to have to change. And if not, you're going to always struggle to find new employees and good employees because they're going to go work for someone who's adjusted. So work-life I'll get off the soapbox on that. That's my... <laughs> Well, that's, work-life balance. I mean, that's been a term used for years now, and it's it's relevant. Now it's, it's real. It's real. It's real. It's real. Yeah, for it's, sure. it's real. Yeah. All right. What else? What else we need oh, to talk man. about? Oh, man. This tax season, we're, we've got some challenges. So if you remember, let's talk, let's talk about those K2 and K3s. They, they were around last yeah. year. We did get some reprieve for that 2021 right. tax season, but it's back. It's back. And while there are quite a few exceptions, anyway, tell us what the K-2 and K-3 are before I go off. K-2 and K-3 are part of the entity returns where foreign activity is reported to shareholders Mm -hmm. or partners or members or whatever you want to call them within those companies. There has evidently been, and this is way above my grade level, a lot of underreporting of foreign taxes and foreign tax activity in pass-through entities. So, Congress and the IRS came up with this thing, I guess, last year to increase the reporting necessary to partners and shareholders through the entity return that created this this massive amount of numbers that had to be Mm -hmm. filled in 
in many instances, the numbers are all zero. But practitioners complained, and I think rightly so, that if I don't have any activity, why do I need to have all this reporting? And the IRS has gone back and forth to try to find a kind of a balance between giving the government the information they need and not burdening the practitioner and or taxpayer with extra work. So any, where are we today? Because we're, we're at stage two. We had something for last year. Now we have something this year. Where are we today right. in terms of what do we need to do to comply with the K-2 and K-3 requirements? So like you said, there are some exceptions. Um, basically, if you have no or limited foreign activity, then you don't need to complete those forms. Um, but you do need to notify the partners and the shareholders and that it's going to be furnished to them um, through their K-1 or you don't need to complete the forms and it doesn't need to be furnished to them at all. They can also ask for it. You know, a partner or a shareholder right. can, can reach out and say, hey, am I going to get this form or am I not going to get this form? Um, but, you know, what's happening is the FAQs and the IRS has made updates to it. There's, you know, a time frame that you got to let your shareholders or partners know whether or not they need to do this K-2 or K-3. You've got the practitioners preparing these pass-through returns and what do they need to do? What do they need to give to the shareholders? Maybe they don't need to give it to the shareholders. So again, it's going to be a lot of asking questions, walking through the steps. Do I need to file? Do I not need to file? Do I meet some of these exceptions? What's the timing of this? So some thought, some thought process for sure. Um, like you said, there's going to be, a, I, I think, there's going to be a lot of, you know, it's just zeros. It's, you know, there's, yeah. there's nothing there. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to report. There's nothing to report. There was no foreign activity. There's no foreign shareholder. There's no... And, and a lot of this is going to be dependent on what our software allows us mm -hmm. to do. Sometimes it's easier to just tell the software complete K2 and K3 and they'll all be zeros. But right. you're fine. If you don't want to complete those, as Annie mentioned, we have to notify the shareholders, I'll use that term, it could be partners, that we're not going to do that. And we're supposed to give them time to request them if they need them. But with the recent change that that notification isn't due until the return is due, by the time you give them that information, the return's already due. So what do they do? So it's yeah, yeah. figure out how your software gives you or what flexibility it gives you. Because if it just says check here and particularly for clients, I think most of our clients, I, well, I, I'm not going to say that because hopefully we have such a large audience all over the world <laughs> that we have people who deal with a lot of foreign uh, taxpayers, but assuming your clients have little or have no activity of any type, foreign either activity or shareholders, just figure out if I check this box, it fills it in and I'm done with it. If not, you're going to have to have some sort of notification. Don't know if your software will give you that wording or what, you know. So we're going to have to be aware of the requirement and then adapt it to our client base and our software to find the best solution for us. I hope for most of us, it's not something where we have to actually calculate and track information. We just have to make sure we fill out the tax return mm -hmm. properly. It's gonna be something that needs to be addressed, not just overlooked this tax season. You know, we, we got reprieve in 2021, and so everybody sort of said, oh, we'll kick that can down the road. Um, but it's yeah. back. Um, it's gonna be something it's that- It's back. It's back. And you know, it's something that we're going to have to to focus on. Taxpayers are going to have to learn what a K-2 and a K-3 is. Yeah. Well, like I said, hopefully it's just a bunch of zeros and we can either check a box and move on or give out the notifications and be done with it. Yeah. 
There's yeah. always cryptocurrency. Anything oh, yeah. new in cryptocurrency? I mean, we've we've heard about brokerage statements, yeah, kind of like they, we get for stocks and bonds, but that's not here yet. No, no. We were expecting um, the IRS was going to have you know enhanced reporting requirements for some of the brokerage firms for cryptocurrency, but that got delayed too. So we're going to basically get similar documentation that we saw last year. Now, the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I mean, they've taken a beating. <laughs> A real beating. So, you know, I'm guessing we're probably going to see a lot more statements with losses. But yeah, we're not going to get, you know, we're not going to get this pretty brokerage statement that gives us, you know, column A, B, C, and we just drop it into the tax return. You're going to have to continue to take a look at it, talk to your clients about it, and make sure that you're reporting it. So, they, you know, taxpayers are going to remain obligated to report any income received from these transactions involving digital assets. Um, and they're going to have, there's a question, yeah. too, on the tax return on page, right there, page one, there's a question that says, you know, have you been involved in, trans, you know, buying or selling or transactions? I'm not remembering the wording perfectly, but you're going to have to answer yes or no right there on the front of the tax return. So whether that's a question in your organizer, um, something that you're going to have to answer, you know, ask your clients, you got to answer that question, yes or no, and then. Report the sales. Yeah. yeah. And it's more and more people are dealing in cryptocurrency, and, but mm-hmm. maybe since they're all losing money, they'll get out <laughs> of it and make our lives easier. Since well, we've got to remember last... those wash sale rules, you know, for yeah. losses. Um, there's been a lot of chatter. There's been some articles written about it, but currently wash sale rules do not apply to crypto. Right. So, you know, right. that term harvesting losses, you know, it's been a popular term as we were nearing year end, you know, you're probably going to see a little bit of that in your client documentation this year. And that's okay, as long as it's crypto. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's part of the laws that have to be changed. So, mm-hmm. all right. All right, Roger. Here's the big one. You ready? Yep. We've been waiting on it. It's the 1099K, the famous $600 limitation for reporting transactions. What right. are your thoughts yeah, no, here, Roger? I'm dreading it. This I'm really was, dreading it. Yeah, well, this is something that, and, and again, this will say how much you were paying attention during the Christmas holidays to what was going on in ta- the tax world. A couple of years ago, the legislation dropped the reporting of 1099K. I'm sure all of you know is the, historically has been the statement that our business owners got for their credit card activity, credit and debit card activity. It was mm-hmm. to help make sure that uh, businesses were reporting their income. Uh, a couple of years ago, as a way to raise some money in some bill that they were passing, they wanted to catch primarily the gig economy. Mm-hmm. So they took the threshold from 20000 to require a 1099K and dropped it to 600 to be consistent with the miscellaneous or non-employee compensation. So That's all a of a sudden, oh, it's a big drop. So big all drop. of a sudden, everybody who used, say, Venmo or PayPal or some app to get paid was going to have to deal with a 1099K that came in. For example, let's say you had a yard sale and you sold $3,000 worth of junk and all the payments you accepted Venmo for. We were potentially looking at a chance of getting a 1099K for $3,000 from Venmo and we know that everything we sold, at least we think we know, everything we sold, we sold at a loss. Mm-hmm. So now, how am I supposed to deal with that $3,000 of income when I actually lost money on those items that I sold? So that was the challenge we had going into December. 
We were all getting ready to get all these 1099Ks. We had very little, if any, guidance on what we're supposed to do about it. And the whole profession was in a panic. So we were all writing letters to the Congress, to the IRS. We were saying, God, help us or stop this insanity, whatever it was. And I want to say it was December 21st. The IRS said, we get it. So we're going to put a one-year delay on it. So the first good news is you should not receive 1099Ks for 2022 unless they're $20,000 or more. That was the rules last year. They basically delayed right. going it, back went back to, to last year's rules of the exceed $20,000 and more right. than 200 transactions. So so we got rid of the yard sale mm-hmm. theoretical 1099 So we hope. Now, we hope. Now, it doesn't mean they won't have already been in the system and be issued. Mm-hmm. But shortly after that, and I may, the 21st may have been the day of the FAQs versus the day of the delay. I may get the dates it wrong. Was all it was right all right around time. It was all right around Christmas. The IRS finally gave us some FAQs about what to do with those 1099Ks if they came or what we should do with those types of transactions, which I thought, well, maybe if you'd have given us this back in the summer, we wouldn't have been so hard for the delay. But anyhow, what was interesting in their FAQs is it pointed out some activities that we probably should have been reporting forever. All along. Mm-hmm. You're right. And the fact that a 1099K was going to be issued shouldn't have changed anything. And they gave a really good example. So I'm going to try to be, I'm a little old for this, but I'm going to try to be relevant to, to the current mm-hmm. environment here. Let's say you were lucky enough to get four Taylor Swift tickets. And you only needed two because you were taking your significant other, daughter, whoever. So you paid $100 for those tickets, but you sold two of them on Venmo for $1,000 apiece. So you made $900 on each of those tickets. Okay, you're not going to get a 1099 from Venmo, but you still are supposed to report that as a taxable event. And that was true before this rule. So literally, how many of you have sold tickets to a concert, to a sporting event, whatever the case may be, and it never crossed your mind that you had a taxable event? But you do. The 1099Ks will change that, but that's true today. So in my example, if I sold those two tickets for 1000 paid 100 for them, I made $900 on each one of those. It goes on the 80, was $89.49 as a short-term gain, and I pay tax on it. Whether I get a 1099 then it flows to the... All that sort of stuff. Yep, yep. Well, let's say all of a sudden Taylor Swift becomes completely... Nobody's interested in her. <laughs> so those other two tickets are worthless. So later on, I sell those other two for $10. So I lost $90 on each of those. Well, in my world, I take the 90 I lost on each ticket and offset the 900 I made on the, You can't do that. Nope. Because the rules say the taxable event is reportable. The event loss can only be offset to the extent of the income or break even. Yep. So... We learned in this whole 1099K thing that probably a lot of our folks have been underreporting, again, selling sports tickets, concert tickets, and all that. Again, I say that just to give you some background on what these transactions are going to look like when we have to start reporting them. I doubt most of your clients are going to come in and start telling you about all the concert tickets they sold and all the (laughs) sports tickets they sold until they get those 1099s. Right. And then... You're going to need to know how they're reported, depending on whether 
again, they held them for more. I don't know if you can hold a concert ticket for a year or a sports ticket for more than a year and get long-term capital gain. But that's the problem that we're going to face. Again, what we're hoping Congress will do, because we think it's going to take congressional action since they set the limit in a bill, mm -hmm. is that that 600 might move up to something a little more reasonable, like 5,000. So at least we won't be dealing with challenges of getting a 1099K for $800 mm -hmm. and then asking our client, well, what did you sell? You know, because sure enough, if the, I jokingly said, this is where you're going to see one of those 884,000 IRS agents that have a gun, if you believe oh. some people, <laughs> walking around to yard sales, making no. sure that you didn't sell something at a profit. So, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting problem for us to deal with whenever they reconcile what the number is. But it's going to mean that a lot of these transactions that we've just never heard about, we're going to suddenly hear about. And it's going to be important that we learn how to deal with them. But I think for the most part, we're not going to have to worry about it until this time next year. Mm -hmm. But the FAQs were really clear this time. They were they great. They tell you what Actually. line to put it on. They give you examples. You know, the loss goes here. The proceeds go there. The cost base. And so at least we have a clear guidance, which, I mean, heck, sometimes we wait years for clear guidance on something. So right. If they'd have done this, like I said, in the summer, we... Might have Probably said, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, but we have a year, and hopefully we'll get a little bit of increase in the threshold. Mm -hmm. uh, I yeah, understand it's targeted. Yeah, way low. That's I mean, way too low. I mean, that's, that's one good yard sale. I mean, now, well, I don't know how many of you have given your Social Security number to Venmo. I haven't. So I don't know how they're going to issue, could have ever issued me a 1099 in the first place. Well, so, some apps do different things. Some say, is this for goods or services, and you can market like this, and... They track, you know, if you pay the, for example, let's say you, you're paying your gardener or your housekeeper or some sure. you know, pool man, you know, a certain amount periodically. I mean, those are going to be kind of red flags. Um, you know, you see $50 every other week or something like that. But yeah, I don't know how the tracking is going to work with it. But each app's a well, little different. Yeah. Hopefully this year they'll take advantage of it. And maybe I'm, this is wishful thinking and work with the third party vendors to tell them how, what they're supposed to do and clarify their questions. Obviously, work with practitioners like us, on which they've done in these FAQs, on how we're supposed to deal with it once we get them, but also educate taxpayers as to what this is and what it mm -hmm. means so that they're not – because I, I, if they'd have sent them out this year, I think half of our clients would have just thrown it away and said, well, I don't know what this is. I've never well, I know during before. COVID, I cleaned out every closet. I cleaned out <laughs> every drawer. I posted stuff on Marketplace, put it on the curb. It disappeared. It was easy as pie, right? Yeah. So. Well, See how much tax you owe and all that. I'm sure when you do your taxes, you'll go back and track every penny of that. Oh, man. I do <laughs> like a marketplace sale. I love it. I use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, glad all you right, get well, 99K. Here we are again, tax season. But what happened to the extenders? It's common. Nothing. <laughs> I know, I know. I was waiting and waiting and waiting. We always have last minute tax extender legislation. And I, I was following the news. I was. Wondering if it was going to get thrown in a bill at the last minute. We did get that omnibus funding package bill. but Yeah, there, there was. The omnibus bill was the last vehicle for so much of our year-end tax changes have to find a bill to get attached to to actually make them happen. And that's usually budget-related or military-related, something that you know is going to pass. Mm -hmm. This year it was the omnibus, but it, we have such a political environment in Washington now. It's so hard to get anything through. Mm -hmm. That getting a, anything extra added to a bill that they think will pass has become terribly difficult. Uh, 
So the only bill that passed that could have given us extenders or could have given us last-minute changes was the omnibus funding bill. Mm-hmm. All that we got out of that is something called the Secure 2.0 Act, which we'll probably do a whole podcast on, which was a retirement bill that was bipartisan and was sitting out there waiting to get passed on its own, and there just wasn't any way to do it, so they attached it to the omnibus bill. None of the proceeds from there really kick in until 2023, mm-hmm. so it's not going to impact you a lot right now. Tax planning, but, maybe. Ta- yeah, tax, tax planning. planning. There's some interesting stuff in there. One of the yeah. interesting, I just throw this out, and again, we'll deal with it in the future in more detail, is one of the interesting things is if an employee pays student loans, the employer can use those payments as if they were contributions to a retirement plan and provide matching funds up to a certain level of student loan payments. There's so much around student loans. So yeah, I mean, it's just the, things the, like that and different retirement. The Secure 2.0 oh, was, was largely focused on enhancing retirement savings. For, right. You know, and it, and there's going to be a lot of stuff, but like you said, not 2022 filing stuff, more 2023, some opportunities. But right. unfortunately, the traditional tax extenders did not get in there. So, you know, we've got, you know, bonus depreciation goes back to 80%. It's not 100%. But right. you know, there's some other, there's some other stuff, there were some research expenses that were capitalized or now amortized over the year instead of being fully expensed. I mean, there's, there's some things in there. I know there was some stuff about energy credits. The child tax credit, the enhanced child tax credit, that I've heard a lot of talk about it. There was hopes that it would get in there at some point, but it didn't make it. So didn't make it. Yeah. And and we're in a situation now with the Republicans controlling the House, the Democrats yeah. controlling the Senate and the White House. It, it's hard to see a lot of bipartisan tax legislation getting through because now it's going to take bipartisanship because mm-hmm. it's got to either start in the House or pass the House, you know, wherever it came from. So it, this next couple of years may be lean years for tax changes, which in some ways is good because yeah. it means we don't have to deal with a lot of new things. But sometimes there's necessary changes. And I don't remember the date, but sooner or later, the, the, the so-called t- Trump tax cuts expire. Yeah. And if they don't get uh, extended by Congress, then we go back to the pre, you know, things like the... Uh, 199A deduction would go away if we don't extend those. So eventually, we're going to have to get Congress to work if, if we want good tax policy, because a lot of what we have today is just bad policy dumped on the IRS and said, make this work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the people who suffer the most on that are taxpayers. But again, well don't said, think we'll get true. much of that right now. No, I think, I think it's going to be quiet. Quiet for a while. A lot of talking, no action. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. So, I mean, hopefully we can get through to April 18th, serve our clients, keep it quiet, keep it calm. Get back to whatever normal is. Famous last words, right? But yeah, yeah, again, we find ourselves right in the middle of tax season. Seems to come fast every year. Yep. Well... We've survived them before. We'll survive them again. Let's just, uh, let's hope we can make it a little easier on us and better for our clients. Anyway, about, I don't think we're about out of time, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're getting, we're getting there. But this was fun, Roger. I had fun doing yeah. this. Yeah, this, this podcast. Was great. Hope, hope everybody enjoyed it. Hope you'll uh, come back for our next one. We're going to try to do these on a regular basis and yeah. keep you current and try to make it informative and entertaining at the same time. And that's a big task with taxes, but we'll do our best. Hey, better than just reading articles and 
tax legislation, and <laughs> that's no fun. Yeah, yeah. Let us do the well, hard work. We'll read it and tell yeah. you about it. Yeah. Annie, thank you. This was fun. I've enjoyed I doing it. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll be back and try this again in the near future. So tell your friends about it. Tell them to come yeah. join us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, until then, stay happy, stay healthy. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. All content from this podcast by Small Biz Pros Incorporated, DBA Paget Business Services, is intended for informational purposes only.